All right, good morning, everybody, once again. Let's open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, the third book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Luke 19. All right, let's go ahead and read verses 1 through 10. And he entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on before and climbed into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. And when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to the guest of a man who is a sinner? But Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor, and if I have exhorted anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the great salvation you've given us, Lord. We just thank you for this um, testimony of Zacchaeus, Lord, and how he uh, accepted you, Lord, and brought you into his home. And we thank you for the salvation that only you give, Lord. You are the giver of salvation, and uh, Lord, uh, salvation is is your greatest work ever. And we thank you, Lord, for what you do. I pray, Lord, you be with us this morning as we open up your word, as we... um, continue to uh, break down your word and evaluate it, Lord. I pray for those who are listening, Lord, that the message is, is clear and understandable to them, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that any distractions are set aside. We pray in your name. Amen. All right, so let's go. We are continuing our study in the Joannan epistles. We are now in the final one. We are in Third John. Let's go to Third John. Let's see if this old thing will kickstart for me. But we are in Third John. Uh-oh. Well, there we go. Woo. So while this is uh, kicking up, we'll go ahead and read. So third John. <clears throat> and then rather than go through the whole book, I'm going to split it up into two sections. So... The first section we'll do is verses 1 through 8. And so uh, I, I thought about doing the whole book, but I felt it would have gone too long, and I didn't want to cut it short. I wanted to give it justice. So today's maybe a little bit shorter than I usually give a message, uh, be, but I do want to uh, slow down a little bit, and then we'll go through verses 1 through 8. So, All right, so the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that in all respects... Uh, you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brothers came and bore witness to 
to your truth. That is how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this, to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Behold, you are acting faithfully in whatever work you do for the brothers, and are doing this though they are strangers. And they bore witness to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, receiving nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. Okay. All right. Let's go ahead and begin. So, you guys know a whole lot about Third John. It's probably a, a book that a lot of people don't go to, right? So, Third John is the shortest book in the New Testament. It's right under about 200 words in the original language. It was written to a, a gentleman by the name of Gaius. Okay? There's not much known about this Gaius. The name Gaius was a popular or common uh, name back in John's time, or the, uh, in this writer's time. Um, almost like a John or a Paul is today, right? There's lots of Johns and Pauls, and you know, depending what culture you're in. But every culture has their own popular names today. More than likely, this is not the Gaius uh, that we see in the beginnings of the uh, New Testament. We see Paul baptizing a Gaius in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 14. Um, nor was this the same Gaius that was with Paul when he wrote Romans. There was a Gaius present there, and, um, and that's Romans 16.23. Uh, nor is it the same Gaius of Acts 19 and 20 that we see. Okay, So, one thing that we are sure of this Gaius is that he is a dear friend of John. We see this here. He's a dear friend of John. Okay, John addresses him as the beloved four times. We see this in verse 1. We see this in verse 2, verse 5, and verse 11. You see this multiple times. He addresses him as the beloved. And some of yours might have a different translation, but the best translation there in the original language is the beloved one. Or his, uh, I think one is dear friend, I think the other translation has. But anyways, they both express that natural agape love one can only have when one is saved. You guys remember that? We studied this in First John. Uh, this agape love that can only be given to man when man is saved by Jesus Christ. This agape love cannot be experienced unless there is a regenerated heart. Okay? So, um, so we see this. Uh, we see this um, in verses 1 and 6, this agape love, and both men are also committed to the truth here, both Gaius and the writer of 3 John. Now, there is a debate out there on who wrote 3 John, because John's name isn't in there, right? But there's uh, history, there's uh, tradition, there's these ideas that both 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John were actually written at the same time, and that one person was carrying all three epistles, or was going to carry all three, uh, two epistles, and then one of them didn't make it, and so uh, um, they had to redo this one, or another one, he redid another one, and uh, sent them off with one person. That's one perspective. Um, another one is, is that he just wrote it as he did, you know, as needed, and uh, he wrote all three of them within 90 uh, to 95 AD. So that's kind of the time frame that these were written. Um, so, 
third John is also, it's an actual letter. There's nothing spiritual about it. There's nothing um, that we need to allegorize. There's no hidden message in it. Third John is just an actual letter involving real Christian brothers, okay? Dealing with the situation that reveals issues of authority, truth, and love. You'll see that rolling out through here. Um, Third John is also the only New Testament book or letter that does not mention Jesus or the Spirit, okay, which is very interesting. I actually enjoy that. We'll talk about that here in a little while. Well, I guess we could talk about it now. I have some verses here we can look at. <laughs> so Gaius was looked at by John as a father. Remember in 1 John, we talked about that. I remember we, had, uh, we have uh, son, um, children, we have young men, then we have fathers. We see these levels of uh, Christians, right? Some of you are on milk, and some of you are on meat, and some of you maybe meatloaf right in the middle, right? And so we all desire to grow, we desire for you to grow into the meat of truth. And so, um, <clears throat> so here we see Gaius was looked at by John as a father, okay? And here's what I mean by that. We see this, uh, oh yeah, in First John 2, 13 and 14, where it says, I am writing to you fathers. Now notice the words here, okay? Turn back a couple pages to 1 John chapter 2, verse 13. <clears throat> so he says, 1 John 2, 13 and verse 14. He says, I am writing to you fathers, okay? Because you have known him who has been from the beginning. Now think about this. He is talking to Christians, okay? But you have known him who is from the beginning. Who has been from the beginning? God, that's right. Thank you, Noah. He has been from the beginning. But as a mature Christian, when he says that, he understands that this whole picture is in his mind, that Jesus Christ was there from the beginning and that the triune Godhead uh, made a plan to save mankind. Okay, so you get this big picture theology here in this. Okay, this is not oh he just knew the Father from the beginning, but the Father from the beginning up to this point we know our theology, right? So he says in verse fourteen, I have. So first he says, I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. Then he says, I have written to you, fathers. So this isn't the first time he's probably written to them, because you have known him who has been from the beginning. He repeats it twice. If God's word says it once, it's important, right? If he says it twice, it's very important, right? Let's pay attention. So again, we should all strive to be fathers as Gaius is set here and uh, as uh, John has instructed us or has uh, brought this to our attention in 1 John, okay? We should have that desire to mature in Christ. So again, so there was no need to mention Jesus Christ in this text or in this epistle or the Spirit because when we talk, <clears throat> when a mature Christian talks, about God, we don't need to re reference Christ. We don't need to reference the Holy Spirit, right? Because we understand this. It's already ingrained in us, right? That's because our theology goes deep into thought, and then the Holy Spirit unpacks in our mind the full concept of who God is and His nature. Anytime <clears throat> we address anyone of the Godhead, we see, right? We can uh, unfold these things in our mind. So this is what we see here, okay? So remember in this letter, the lack of material you may think does not exist in this epistle is actually folded up very neatly in the white lines in between the verses, okay?
okay? Only deep theology can unpack it and not shallow-mindedness, okay? So you have to understand that. There's a, there's a couple phrases in a word we'll look at, and as soon as you read those or see those, you, your mind should just blow up with the gospel, with the things of God, uh, His word, His truth. So anyways, we'll get there, and we'll look at those here in a second. So now... The purpose of this letter is to encourage Gaius, okay? Despite what uh, Diotrephes did, uh, we'll, and we'll probably say that for next time, what Diotrephes did, he was supposed to, uh, uh, um, he was supposed to uh, take a letter that John had wrote, okay? And he didn't. Uh, he was, um, um, he didn't like what the elders or the, the uh, teachers were saying, Okay? So he didn't take the letter completely. I don't know what he did with it, but it didn't show up. So John is encouraging Gaius to be faithful to the truth, no matter who or what is against it. John comforts him lightly because he is confident with his standing with the Lord. Okay, Gaius is a man of the word, and so uh, the elder here is just encouraging him. So remember, all right, so let's get to our text now. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. So let's stop at the elder, okay? So here, again, I'm using the word John, but in all reality, we don't know 100%, but tradition tells us it was John. And I'll give you some other reasons, maybe why I think it is John. Um, So here, John refers to himself simply as the elder, although John is the last apostle standing at this point, okay? He is also speaking authoritatively he is saying who he is his position in the church because he is speaking authoritatively because he is communicating uh his position um that he has in the church okay the big church right the spiritual church by using the word elder he could have just used the word john or something else right the the beloved one or or whatever but he didn't. He used the word elder because he's trying to give an authoritative perspective on this letter. Okay, although this letter may seem to be private, it is not due. Uh, it is not because of the way he introduced it when he says the elder. Right, this is meant to be read to others. Um, so he's making an official statement by claiming or by putting elder in there. And knows that this letter will also be read to the church, okay? So again, John, remember, is the last elder as mentioned, okay? He's the last elder, and he is the last apostle. And we'll talk about that a little bit here in a minute, okay? Um, so anyway, so one item, uh, like I said, I guess we'll, let's talk about it now because it's not going to go with the flow. So I'll go ahead and we'll go ahead and touch it now. So... One item to note is that John is at the end of his life. Think about this. This letter was written in 90 to 95 AD, okay? One item to note is that John is at the end of his life and chooses to use the term elder, okay? In both 2nd and 3rd John, not just here in 3rd John, but the book before he uses elder, and, and, and Owen went into it a little bit and kind of what it means and all that, but he doesn't use apostle. We notice that he doesn't use apostle, Okay, now this is just speculation in my world, right? But if you take all the books and you lay them across chronologically, this is the last book written in the New Testament. After this, there is no more. Okay, this is the last book. So Revelation was written in 68 AD. 
And then you have these three that were written by John between 90 and 95, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So to me, this is indicating that the position of apostleship either has gone already or it has already began to fade out. Okay? Even before John has passed, the need for apostleship is no longer needed. Okay? Think about that. The apostles are no longer needed. That position in the church is no longer needed because the churches have been established the elders are now oops, <clears throat> the elders are now in place using the teachings of the law and the apostles to teach the church this is the last new testament book that has been written and um, <clears throat> again i believe that these two books reveal the progress of church leadership and the early church by how john addresses himself we see that as you put all the epistles in the New Testament in a chronological order, you see that we go from apostles, they introduce themselves as apostles, and then you see John, the last apostle alive, ending it in elder, right? So at this point, we already know um, who we're at in time, 90 to 95 AD, and then the apostles and their, and their gifts, the signs, wonders, and miracles are no longer needed because the Apostles have already laid the foundation for the church, okay? That's what their goal was. That was their purpose, was to lay the foundation for the church. And at this point, the foundation has been laid. So, again, that's just my two cents on that. Uh, it's real important when you, uh, I feel, and you put these in chronological orders, you can see the history of change over time. You see the same thing with spiritual gifts. They begin to fade away, and then you see the gifts that are given to the church. They begin to rise and the other gifts go away. But anyways, so now we see the beloved Gaius, okay? As we mentioned in our intro, we do not know who this Gaius is, but we do know that he is beloved by John. We see his affection towards Gaius, okay? This word, beloved Gaius, Paul uses the same word to express his affection towards Timothy, right? We all know that Paul loved Timothy, right? He was mentored and trained by him. And we see this in 1 Corinthians 4.17. It says, For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and who will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Have you ever had somebody you're mentoring and you see them as your beloved, you take them under your wing, and you begin to mold them and train them and teach them over time, and, and, and you're proud, you're thankful to God that he's used you to mentor these people, and you have this relationship with them, right? So as Paul said, for this reason I sent Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, okay? Paul also uses the same word towards uh, Titus in Ephesians six twenty one. He says, but what you also may know about all my affairs, how I am doing, uh, Titicus, the beloved brother and faithful servant in the Lord. Okay, all these are related back to the Lord. Will make everything known to you. And then Peter uses it to refer to Paul. If you look at 2 Peter 3.15, he says, and consider the patience of our Lord as salvation just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. So you see this word, this beloved word, being used by the apostles here uh, for a deep, deep relationship in the Lord with them. Okay? So the elder goes on to say here in this verse, whom I love in truth. Here the word love 
is associated to truth, okay? Which is the revelation of God. That's what truth is, okay? It's God's revelation to us. We learned in 1 John 4.11 that those who are in Christ ought to love one another as God loved us. You guys remember that? This love, as I mentioned earlier, can only be had if we are regenerated through the work of the cross. Okay, we cannot have this love. John's expressed love towards Gaius is their shared faith in Christ. Do we have that same love with each other? Are we each other's beloved? Are we um, um, soldiers of the faith together? Are we ambassadors together? We should be. That's what we are called. Okay? Now, if we go on to verse 2, we see this word again, beloved, right? Here it is. Once again, the elders emphasizing the connection between him and Gaius, okay? This is two of four times, as I mentioned earlier. We see it 1, 2, 5, and 11. This beloved word is used in 3 John four times, as mentioned earlier. Okay, then the the passage goes on to say, um, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. Now, when I read that, I instantly thought of the health and wealth. Oh, yeah, here's the pastors are going to use, right? This is for them. Um, and how you know, they're going to twist it up. But if you look at it backwards, okay, it says, just as your soul prospers. He's comparing it to the prosperity of his soul, not necessarily of materialism. Okay, so we go backwards on this one. So this is not about materialism. John is saying that he prays his external and physical life is, a, is as good as his spiritual life. He sees this abundance of spiritual life that he prays that his physical uh, and external life is just as abundant. He is pretty much telling him he is proud of his Christian walk and that he prays that his physical side is just as healthy. Okay? So how do we know when one soul is prosperous if we can't see the soul? How do we know that? If I said, how do you know your soul is prosperous or your soul is prosperous. How do we know that? By how we walk our Christian life. I can tell you if your soul is prosperous by the way you walk, and that's what John is saying here. He says, I know you are prosperous in your soul internally because of what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing, okay? What is said about us? What is said about us outside of the Sunday morning? We see each other for an hour, hour and a half every week. Some two, three hours if you come on Wednesdays or even Fridays. But what do the people say about us outside of these four walls? Are you the beloved or are you the, oh, they call themselves a Christian, right? That's tough. So again, so he's pretty much telling him he is proud of his Christian walk that he prays that his physical side is just as healthy. And then we know that his life is prosperous because he sees his Christian life. Okay, Our lives will reflect what's in the inside. Okay, Our lives will reflect what's the inside. An unchanged life, unchanged life as an, is an unchanged heart. Okay? If, if, your life isn't, if your heart isn't changed, you'll never change your life. You can change your life, but if the heart is still dark, then there's no real valued 
change. There's no true change. There is a change for a worldly gain, but there's not an eternal gain in it. The heart has to be changed, and with that, the life is changed. If you, if you call yourself a Christian, there has to be a change. This is a result of salvation. There's no exception. Okay? So we are called to live a life worthy of the calling. Okay? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. I used to have this underlined in your Bible. If you don't have anything written in your Bible, I'd challenge you to take a pen and write it in it now. It'd be the best thing you've ever done. <laughs> if you have that new crispy Bible, then right now is the time to do it. <clears throat> I always do that. I get a new Bible and I have to write in it right away so that way I don't get tempted and trying to keep it all perfect and pretty. All right, so Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. He says, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, exhort you to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. This is the standard, folks. This is the bar. Okay? The calling in which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing, uh, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Verses 2 and 3 are the results of a changed heart. Okay? So therefore, the prisoner of the Lord exhort you to walk worthy of the calling. You have been called by God to be saved. He has drawn you towards himself and you have uh, now a new heart. There has to be a change. And when there is a change, you will see humility and gentleness and patience. I was actually talking to a couple of uh, young ladies yesterday about the changed heart of a certain individual and they were expressing to me the, just the, the, the change from one direction to another going from left to right, a complete change. And uh, it was so amazing. As they were talking to me, one of the ladies, I could just see the tears in her eyes of her giving the testimony of this person. She saw a change in this person's life. And I pray that this change is genuine and that is, ha- has eternal value. That is a beautiful thing, to see God take the heart and, and make it alive and change it and give regeneration and restore it to him so we see this validated in the next few verses so now let's go on to verse three okay let's go back to third john verse three there's only one chapter so first john three or one three so he says for i rejoice greatly when brothers came and bore witness to your truth that is how you are walking in truth. There is that word walking again. Okay? It's a visual. Here the elder is excited. He's pumped up. Okay? Other Christians came and told him about Gaius and his walk in the truth. They were watching. Okay? His Christian life is expressed by his walk. This phrase to walk is used five times in the Johannan epistles. And each time is talking about one's Christian life. Okay, let's go over them really quick. We look at 1 John 1, 6. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, okay, this is us, okay, this is Christian, this is the text. If we as Christians say we have fellowship with God and yet walk in darkness, we lie and the truth is not in us. Remember, John is a black and white writer, okay? There's no gray here. He's not trying to be wishy-washy. He's going to give it to you and that's it. 
That's why his letters here are so short. To the point, no explanation. Take it as is, as face value, right? If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not do the truth. Next verse, 1 John 1, 7, right after this one. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we are walking in light, then we have truly, genuinely been saved uh, from our sins and we, in our life will represent that. If we go over to one more chapter in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, 2 6 says, The one who says he abides in him ought, uh, ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Okay? You see that twice in this verse. Same manner as he walked. Okay? And, and then go down five more verses to 1 John 2 11. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness, and here it is, and walks in the darkness. You cannot have hate in your heart. Okay? A regenerate heart does not have hate, okay? And, <clears throat> and does not know where he is going because the darkness blinded his eyes. And then now we go to 2 John. Flip over three chapters, four chapters. 2 John, verse 4. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in truth. Isn't that amazing? I, I love doing that. We've moved around many times uh, well, about three or four times. And every time I go back and revisit some of my old Christian friends that had kids that were this big and I see them and their kids are still walking in truth and they're training and teaching them still, that brings joy to my heart. It's exciting. It doesn't mean they're gonna stay that way, but the, but the parents have been faithful to the end. Okay? So just as we receive commandments from the Father, so I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in truth. Okay? This is already, they've, taken the faith of their parents and made it in their own and now they themselves are walking in it on their own. This is now their faith, okay? Second John, verse six, two verses down. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. Do we walk according to God's commandments? Or are we walking to the commandments of our own law? Or do you think that God's word is just a suggestion? Right? It's not. You are a slave to Christ if you claim to be a believer. Christ has purchased you with his blood, and either you're a slave to sin or you're a slave to Christ. You can only serve one master. Okay? So, and this is love that we walked according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. Again, twice in that verse. Now we go to 3 John, where we're at. For I rejoiced greatly when brothers came and bore witness to your truth. That is how you are walking in truth. Gaius was caught walking in truth. He wasn't trying to be somebody he wasn't. People were watching from afar. Okay, and then the next verse we'll go to in a minute, but it says, I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Okay, so we see that this is a common theme to walk, right? John is, is pretty much saying, I know who you are. You don't have to tell me who you are, okay? You can say who you think you are, but it'll be proven by the way you walk, by the way you live your life, right? Is it a spirit-filled life, okay? 
we will know them by their fruit. And John is saying this. Five times John uses this uh, term in first, second, and third John. Now verse four, he says, I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Church, there is no greater joy for the elders of Carlsbad Bible Church to know that those of you who profess to be true believers by the hearing of the gospel are putting it to practice by the way you live. We had an elders meeting this past week and we are talking about things going on in the church and it was amazing to hear just some of the things that some of you are just doing. You're just responding to things and um, we're just so blessed by that. Such amazing um, testimony to us. So we are just excited about that. So to watch the believers in the church grow, to desire meat rather than milk, you're wanting to grow and mature, it brings great joy to us here at the Carlsbad Bible Church. We understand that the elder here, we understand what the elder was experiencing here. When he's talking about Gaius, we too now, because of the testimony of many of you, we can see you and what you're doing, and it brings joy to us the way it did to Gaius here to watch you grow, to see baptisms, to grow in the faith together, to sharpen each other. So amazing, so beautiful. So walking is a continued walk that never ends until the day of our Lord, okay? Until the day he returns. We need to make sure we are found faithful so that there is joy in the Lord when he returns for us, right? So I don't want to be that person that the Lord takes home early because I'm trampling on the cross, I want to go in, my t- in his timing and wouldn't it be nice like he did to Stephen and he gave him a standing ovation. Well done, good and faithful servant, right? That's how we should live. That's how we should live. Well done and good and faithful servant. Good and faithful servant. So, all right, let's go to verse five. <clears throat> Here it is again. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever work you do for the brothers and are doing this though they are strangers, okay? So the elder here is actually, he's, he's boosting up Gaius. He's, he's uh, patting him on the back. He's telling him how good he is. He's proud of him, okay? Uh, not every Christian can handle this, right? But again, because Gaius is a mature person in the word, he is able to tell him these things without him getting a big head probably, right? So some commentators say that Gaius had opened up his home for the benefit of other believers. He showed his faith by the things that he does, even to those believers he does not know. Uh, Looks like as preachers were traveling, his home was known for one of those stopping places to rest and stay if needed and temporarily take them under their care. He had true hospitality even to strangers, no matter the social status. He didn't care about the social status. His focus was on those who are preaching and teaching the word, okay? That's what Gaius was focused on. And it says, and then verse six, and it says, and they bore witness to your love before the church. This is the elder telling Gaius what was reported back to him, what Gaius had no idea was going on in the background. When they arrived at the elder's church, They shared with everyone the hospitality they were giving during a service. Gaius' reward was that he was known throughout the church. Not only did he have an open house, 
but he also had an open heart. It comes from the heart, okay? He had an open heart. <clears throat> and one day he will receive his reward in heaven, okay? We don't seek reward here on earth, but in heaven we do. Now, this note is interesting right here. Now, there are some of us who are not called to preach and teach, but we all are called to hospitality, okay? We can all give. We can all uh, open our homes or whatever that may be. But Matthew 10.41 is a special blessing here that Gaius is kind of receiving. If you look at Matthew 10.41, I'll read it to you. You don't have to turn there. He says, He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. Okay? So if you'd like to get the reward of a preacher, well, then support a preacher. Okay? And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Okay? We as um, uh, those who are not called to, to preach and teach can still receive the gifts. You can still assist those who are preaching and teaching God's word. And that's the principle here, okay? You can still be benefit from this. It's a body function. It's not, it's not uh, twins, right? One doing this and one doing this. It's one body functioning holistically to accomplish the work of God. So again, very interesting there. And then we look at the, the next half of verse 6. It says, you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. So now the elder reminds Gaius that he will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. This is not just a friendly goodbye that he's telling them, but are to send them out with the adequate supplies for their journey. So not only is Gaius bringing them in, but when they go, he's actually giving them more than likely food and water necessities whatever was needed in that time to survive a journey or to the next point back then it was important christians were known to have their homes open so they would travel to the next town and the word to get out there's a christian over here and so as people were traveling pre- uh, preaching and teaching they would stop at these places okay there was no room for them at the end right so this is not just a friendly goodbye right but they are to send them out with adequate supplies for their journey <clears throat> to share our material things with those who preach and teach will set a high standard. We are to reflect the character of God. Verse 7 <clears throat> says, "For the, They went out for the sake of the name. You see that? The name? What came to your mind? Right? The richness, right? The full perspective of God. The whole Bible is wrapped up in just that, the name, Right? We see that, and that's what I'm talking about, that deep theology, right? Looking at it from a high-level, mature person. These things should, should trigger instantly God's truth in, in depth. Okay, so these men looked at the Lord alone for the supply of their needs, okay? They would not accept support from unbelievers. This is what was going on. It says, receiving nothing from the Gentiles. They did not want to allow the unbeliever to be puffed up or give them a false ground of unrighteousness. Jesus' uh, disciples also took nothing from unbelievers as they went out and preached. I remember that when, when Christ told them not to take nothing from them. Okay? <clears throat> so as I mentioned earlier, the word name. Okay, this is the closest the elder comes to naming the name of Jesus. These travelers were representing Christ. We see this term used in the book of Acts. So let me give you a little bit more um, perspective on a bigger picture of the word name here. So, I'll read these to you so you don't have to go there. But Acts chapter 5, verse 41 says, 
So they went out on their way from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for the name. Okay, again, suffer for Christ. Uh, Chapter 9, verse 16 says, For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. The Apostle Paul saw. Men, uh, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 15, verse 26. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 21, verse 13 says, Then Paul answered, What are you doing, crying and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. The word name is all that he is. When somebody pounds on the door and says, open in the name of so-and-so, it means open up in the name, uh, open up in all that they are as if they were standing right here demanding for you to open this door. It's all that he is, okay? When Christ, I mean, when uh, we are told to pray in the name of Jesus, we are told pretty much to pray as if Jesus Christ was asking these things himself. That'll help your prayer, right? Only ask the things that Jesus would want. So, verse 8. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. So here we see the elder requesting for more people who can exercise the same gift of hospitality. Or support those who can do it. Okay, this is a call to us. Are you hospitable? Are you opening your home? Are you doing Bible studies? Or are you supporting those who are doing it? Doesn't mean you have to do it, but are you supporting them? Are we functioning as a body? Right. The phrase "ought to" is like an assertion of moral obligation. The elder is requesting more people like this to help spread and teach the gospel. This will allow us to share in the work of the gospel. Now, this is a blessing, um, but also last week we saw a warning here. Turn over one chapter and let's go to to 2 John 9, 9, 10, and 11. Here's an opposite side of this. Okay, Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Okay? The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Okay? So not just so there were these fake people doing what the, what the preachers and teachers were doing, going around and uh, imitating them. And they were either taking advantage or they were... Uh, preach or preaching and teaching false doctrine. Okay, so it's important for us to know truth. So when error comes, you'll know it's truth. Okay, so don't out, don't go out there and start studying error everywhere. You need to know the truth, and then eventually, when you hear error, you will know that it is error. All right. <clears throat> so church, the challenge here is to do: do we support those who have the proper message to help them get out and continue preaching and teaching the truth? Not all are called or gifted for evangelism, preaching or teaching, but all of us can provide assistance to some extent as allowed by our means and situations. We have a moral obligation to materially support these people. When we have people come uh, and visit, we as a family, we try our best to bring them into our home 
for this very reason. We have always been this way. We've all, you know, uh, I know you guys have seen Deets here. Every time he comes, he's not only a friend, but he's a pastor and teacher to us as well. And we try to bring him in and uh, make sure that he um, is uh, taken care of, right? And so anyways, and remember, hospitality is not entertainment, okay? Don't get that confused. Hospitality is not entertainment. So anyways, the call here is for us to be more hospitable, okay? And we need to evaluate ourselves, see where we're at, and this obligation, this ought to, right, is something we truly need to evaluate in our lives. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this challenge today, Lord, and it was exciting to see this elder, Lord, being excited about the testimony of Gaius, Lord. I too can look around, Lord, and people in my life and be just as excited, Lord, just to see the things that uh, they are doing, Lord, through your work, and what you called them to do. Even those, Lord, who are called just to do the simple things as clean the church or mow the grass or run the finances, Lord, or whatever that is, Lord, if that's your calling and they're doing it, they're walking in the Spirit as they do it, Lord, that too is joyous. It doesn't have to be grand. It doesn't have to be elegant. But whatever your calling is, Lord, I pray that we do it well and that we walk in truth and that we walk in a manner, Lord, that is in the light, not in darkness. God, we just thank you for um, just this gift, Lord, of... uh, seeing the heart of an elder, of another believer, Lord, or being um, expressed toward another believer, Lord. And this expression and this love can only happen because they are filled with this agape love that is given only by the regenerated heart through the Holy Spirit, Lord. Lord, we thank you, we love you. I pray that as we wrap up today, Lord, that uh, our worship was pleasing to you, Lord. We pray in your name, amen.